chances are you're by yourself watching something on your phone or your laptop or TV, right? Chances are that's how you're consuming it. So when I'm coaching people around this, I say, hey, just do the video as if you're talking to one person, because that's all the number of people that are going to be watching it at any one time, right? As if you're just talking to one person, be yourself. Don't try to be a fake version of yourself. Maybe be a little bit more enthusiastic, kick it up a notch, but you don't have to try to be somebody else. You don't have to go get massive training around this. Be yourself. Talk as if you're talking to one person and have an image in your mind that that person is an old friend of yours. So you're just having a conversation with one person who already knows you. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Dave, welcome to the show. Matt, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Oh my goodness. You know what? It's Tiger Stripe. Tiger Stripe. <laughs> Which blows my mind because I hate black licorice. So if you're not forget, familiar with what Tiger Stripe is, it's orange ice cream and black licorice ice cream twirled together. And I absolutely hate black licorice. However, I love Tiger Stripe ice cream. I don't know why. I have to say out of 150 episodes, that's probably the most unique answer I think I've heard so far. <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Well, my gig today, Matt, is I am a passive real estate investor and a very active consultant for mom and pop real estate investors. And we help them get started with raising capital, raising private capital by really leveraging their existing networks. So that's what we do. We provide done for you marketing services and processes and, and um, things like that for mom and pop real estate investors. Gotcha. Well, that's the end of where you are today, but your journey is super interesting. Can you take us back to where did your real estate journey begin? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of grew up around real estate, didn't really realize it, but uh, the family home for quite a few years was one unit in a sixplex that my father and my my grandfather built. And then um, when I was a kid, my mom and my mom and dad split up, unfortunately, but my mom became a very active real estate investor way back in the late 70s and early 80s. She built up a portfolio of over 50 rental units uh, while she was working full time and being a, a single mom. So that was pretty impressive, although I didn't clue into that at the time. And then myself, when I kind of got into it, was actually when I was living in San Jose, Costa Rica, of all places. So I lived uh, traveled and, and lived in Latin America for almost 14 years. 10 of those years were in Costa Rica. I had a language training company down there, got married, had kids, was living life in Costa Rica, and stumbled across some real estate opportunities that I guess we would call pre-foreclosure type deals. So I got involved in a couple of those, really didn't have a clue what I was doing, basically just put some money in. Other people took care of most of the of the heavy lifting and, and I made a good return on that. And that kind of piqued my interest. And then in way, way back in 2003, I packed up my 
Costa Rican family, my Costa Rican wife and our two little kids, and hauled them all back to the frozen hinterlands of Canada, which where is where I'm from, where I'm based, beautiful British Columbia. So that to say that was a shock to their system, but <laughs> an understatement. Uh, and people always go, especially Canadians, they go, Dave, frozen hinterland <laughs> of Canada, tropical paradise of Costa Rica. What the heck were you thinking? Why would you ever come back? Well, Matt, you know, you don't realize what you got till you leave it for a while. And as great as Costa Rica is, being the pasty-faced white dude that I am, you know, whether you got much money or not, people kind of assume that you do. There's a bit of a target on your back, on your family's back, that sort of thing. And there is a risk of getting kidnapped, held for ransom, that sort of thing. It doesn't happen very often, but I do know three people it has happened to down there. Uh, however, I don't know anybody where I live in Kamloops that's ever been kidnapped or held for ransom or anything like that. So we just, we we moved the family and I had to start all over again from scratch. I hadn't been able to sell my business, didn't have much in the way of savings. I'd been out of the country so long. I was, had no credit. I had uh, pretty much zero employment prospects. So I saw one of those late night infomercials that said, hey, Want to get into real estate with little or no money down? I said, yeah, because that's what I got. So I sent away for one of those home study courses. You know, the guy with the babes and bikinis on yachts and boats and all that kind of crap. Sent away for this uh, home study program. And this is so long ago, Matt, way before your day. It actually came in binders with CDs, maybe a VHS cassette or two in there. That's That's what I got. And I... Um, was under a crunch. So I, I really applied myself and started doing deals fairly quickly and did 18 deals in my first 18 months. And, and that's wow. how I really got started with real estate investing. Now that sounds impressive, but they're not the kind of deals that you guys are doing, right? We're not talking <laughs> big multifamily deals. We're talking creative, low money down type deals. So mobile homes and mobile home parks, that, that was a, a significant chunk of those kind of deals. Rent-to-own deals, lease options, options, uh, th these kind of things. That's what I was doing for a while. Yeah, I, I want to ask a question about your mom because to build yeah. a single-family portfolio um, in the 70s as a female, single mom, all that sort of stuff is super impressive. If you did yeah. it today, it would be super impressive. Where, mm -hmm. where did that drive come from? Where did the knowledge come from? Why do you think she was doing that? You know what? I was such a ditz that I didn't pay much attention to it at the time because I was a kid right? I was a kid, then a teenager and completely self-centered. And it was just something my, my mom was doing. I do remember vividly though, uh, early eighties, when it all came crashing down, when interest rates went up, Ooh, deja vu a little bit there, but they yeah. didn't go up to four and a half, five, 6%. They went up to 18, 19, 20% back in those days. And, and everything came crashing down for her, unfortunately, but what, what inspired her, what motivated her? Um, you know what? She, I, I think she just kind of bumbled into getting her first rental property, got a taste of cash flow, kind of liked it, kind of liked, I can still remember her being up late at night, kind of crunching numbers and doing her books and all that kind of stuff. And, and she seemed to enjoy that stuff. So I think she just really kind of liked that. And she was looking for a, a secondary income source for retirement. Yeah. Super impressive. 
Um, so you mentioned 18 deals in 18 months. Every yeah. real estate investor comes to that crossroads where they need to raise capital because mm -hmm. you have just extended your money as far as it would go. Um, is that what happened to you at that point? Or when did you decide to make the pivot to start raising private capital? No, it didn't actually happen then because my my whole focus at that point had been getting into wonky deals, people in wonky situations where I didn't have to come up with much cash or any credit to get involved in the property. So there was all creative financing and no money time, down type stuff. So it wasn't really then. It was a few years later. I took a, a hiatus from actively investing in real estate, jumped back in a few years later and got into a strategy that actually involved buying single family homes uh, and then renting them out, doing a, a lease option type of a deal with those. And by that time I had good credit and had some cash. So I was able to self-finance my first couple of properties, but then that's when I ran out of cash and credit, hit the wall. And um, that's when this perfect deal, quote unquote, perfect deal landed in my lap was when I didn't have the money to do it. And I'd been listening to all these real, real estate gurus there was before podcasts and whatnot, but at the seminars and stuff, everybody was always saying, hey, go find a good deal and the money will find you. I said, hey, that sounds great. It makes sense, right? I mean, you got a good deal. Who can refuse? So I had this really good deal. And then I started scrambling, tried to figure out how to raise the capital. And I only had two weeks to come up with the money to remove subjects for uh, for financing. And I tried everything that I thought other people were doing successfully. So you come from a sales background, Matt. So you're probably accustomed to or comfortable with the idea of picking up the phone and dialing for dollars. I don't come from that background. I'd never done that before. I, I think I saw a movie like Wolf of Wall Street or something like that. Yeah. And that damn Leonardo DiCaprio made it look like fun, right? So he's dialing for dollars, get people to spend gazillions of dollars. So I tried that. And all I got was rejection. No, Dave, not interest. Rejection, 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 rejection. I'd love to say I just kind of grounded out and, and kept going. I didn't. I did that about a dozen times and then started pouting and said, I don't want to do this anymore and quit calling. And then I tried, you know, so then I was thinking, okay, well, what else can I do? And I'd also heard people say, Hey, you know what? If you need to raise money, go out and network up a storm, turn every conversation into real, real estate conversation, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, well, I'll try doing that. So that's what I did. I tried networking and schmoozing and of course, raise zero capital because desperation oozed out of every pore in my body, right? When when you need the cash, it wasn't even that much money. I think I only needed to raise like $85,000. But when you're going to a stranger and saying, hey, I've got the deals, have you got the dough? And they don't know you, they don't like you, they don't trust you. Why the heck are they going to invest with you, right? So that didn't work. I spammed everybody I knew with my, with my deal. That didn't work. In fact, <laughs> all I did was turn off a lot of really good prospective investors. And I ended up, having to lose that deal, which was painful at the time, but really good experience. And uh, that's when I, I kind of, when the, when the smoke cleared, I sat down and I said, that really sucks. You know, Matt, I don't know. Have you, have you ever tried something that it's, it appears like other people are having success at, but it just, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't fit your personality. Have you ever tried anything P like that? Plenty, plenty. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was doing there. So I, I sat down when the smoke cleared and I said, Hey, there's got to be a different way. This, this doesn't fit into my wheelhouse. I'm not comfortable trying to become good at this stuff that I really don't like doing. 
why don't I try something I am good at? And I have a background in marketing. I said, why don't I apply marketing to this whole raising capital thing? And by hook and by crook, I came up with what I now call my money partner formula. Worked well for me. I uh, did a whole bunch of, you know, raised a little under a million bucks for the single family home deals, started getting up into multifamily deals, not as big as what you guys are doing, but some larger type deals, raised uh, several millions of dollars for deals I've been involved in. And then over the years, you know, working with other mom and pop real estate investors, we've helped them cumulatively raise somewhere around 300, 350 million bucks for their deals. Awesome. Uh, following the process. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing from this conversation too, and I've heard from you speaking in the past is the best time to dig a well is when you're not thirsty. And yeah, really it's around priming people in your network that this is what I do. You hear everybody say, go tell everybody you do real estate. Well, that is a six to 12 to 18 month play. They're not telling you go do that when you have an active deal under contract. So your idea of the deal, if you have the deal, the money will come maybe in certain situations, but it's better to dig that well now than wait till you have that deal. deal. I, I, I'd like to find out whoever said that first and smack them upside the head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you, um, you have your five-step formula that you've covered yep. on a number of different podcasts. I actually think I heard you, you pitched that on a, a podcast back in 2017. So it's very well established. You've helped a lot of investors do that, but you've also seen kind of this capital raising industry change over time as well. And one of the things we were specifically talking about is this idea of video and video mm. form content. How have you seen video uh, be introduced into the capital raising process and how has it helped or maybe just not helped uh, the process? Yeah, well, we've actually been doing video since day one. Um, and the reason I, I think video is good is just because that is the way most people prefer to consume information. I mean, I'm I'm looking behind you there, Matt. You've got a very impressive bookshelf, lots of books back there. But the reality is, if you take a look at the library and how many people are in there versus how many people are watching stuff on YouTube and Netflix, I think YouTube and Netflix have got it, right? I mean, this is especially in... Today with social media, TikToks and Reels and all this kind of stuff, video is the preferred way for the vast majority of people to consume their information. So we can either fight against that and say we wish it weren't so, or we can work with it. So what we do and what I recommend real estate investors do is that they add in video as part of their marketing mix. Right. So we always talk about, you know, you want to get top of mind, get people's attention, get top of mind, stay top of mind with your prospective investors using a, a variety of different mechanisms and methods. But video is one of the ones that we find works the best. You, um, you mentioned introducing video into the process, and there's probably a lot of people out there that hear that and are a little nervous behind it. I don't look good on camera. I don't like the way I look. I don't sound great, et cetera. How do you help people kind of get over those internal hurdles that they're facing? Well, Matt, you and I both know that not everybody can be as blessed and as fortunate <laughs> as we are, you know, just to be Brad Pitt stand-ins and whatnot and do, do you think i look like brad pitt or george clooney it's okay if the answer well is you both. can be george i'll be brad okay and we'll both be delusional but <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking i mean <clears throat> for people that are listening to this podcast if you saw me i'm i'm no i'm no cool drink of water that's for sure it doesn't really matter folks here's i mean at the end of the day 
here's how, here's what I do to help my clients. Cause everybody's nervous about this. If you haven't done it before, right. Is I remind people that, yeah, you're, you're doing a video and yes, ideally a lot of people are going to see that video, but here's the big difference. I mean, most people kind of have in their mind that they've, if they do a video, it's kind of like if they're going to be on a movie and they, in their mind, they think of going to a movie theater and seeing themselves up on the big screen with a couple of hundred people around them and everybody's watching them, giggling, snickering and pointing at them. That's not how it works. I mean, think about how do you typically consume videos that you see on YouTube or TikTok or wherever, right? Chances are you're by yourself watching something on your phone or your laptop or TV, right? Chances are that's how you're consuming it. So when I'm when I'm coaching people around this, I say, hey, just do the video as if you're talking to one person, because that's all the number of people that are going to be watching it at any one time, right? As if you're just talking to one person, be yourself. Don't try to be a fake version of yourself. Maybe be a little bit more enthusiastic, kick it up a notch, but you don't have to try to be somebody else. You don't have to go get massive training around this. Be yourself. Talk as if you're talking to one person and have an image in your mind that that person is an old friend of yours. So you're just having a conversation with one person who already knows you. Does that help, yeah, Matt? Absolutely. And I would say a couple of things onto this. One, the beauty is in the edit. When you're watching that Avatar film online or uh, in the movie theater, there's a ton of editing that goes into that. There's a ton of editing in what we do. So one of the best pieces I advice I got when I was starting out was take it one line at a time and then let the editor do what they do, which is mash it all together. Um, the second thing I would say is one thing that's really helped me too is having a conversation with someone before I go shoot a video on something that I'm passionate about. Because what you find is that level of energy naturally expands. The voice naturally gets a little bit louder. You get excited and you're used to talking. If you roll out of bed at 3 a.m. in the morning, flip on the lights and turn on a Zoom and start recording, it's probably not going to be your best bet. But if you just get out of a good, engaging conversation like we're having right now, and then yeah. I go try to shoot something, chances are it's going to be a little bit better. So those are a couple that's, quick that's tips. Good. I'm, going to, I'm going to be cranking out 20 YouTube videos this Saturday. So that's good advice. I'll, I'll try and have an enthusiastic conversation <laughs> before, before I go through that eight-hour marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I was super interested to kind of pick your brain on is this yeah. idea of testimonials. So you've worked with a ton of different uh, investors out there who are raising capital. And I think testimonials for me have been very, very powerful for our business in this fact that Dave knows a direct testimonial that he can now refer to us. But I've, I've never understood where like a straight blanket testimonial of someone that doesn't know Dave hearing him explain the experience. So can you talk us like, what's been your experience of testimonials? Okay, so for, first of all, I might not have understood what you meant by the last part of the question. So are you saying that if somebody sees a testimonial from someone who they don't know, what right. difference does that, will that make? Right. Okay, now I get it. All right, so here's here's my take on it, Matt. And let me know what you think about this as well, because you've gotten a lot of testimonials. You know, you and I, can stand up and talk about how great we are 
till we're blue in the face, right? I can say, yeah, I've done this, I've done that, I'm so great, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people do. And quite frankly, I think it just comes off as, as obnoxious and, you know, self-promoting and people see through that stuff, right? Now, on the other hand, if somebody else says nice things about you, that's going to carry a lot more weight, even if that person is unknown to the viewer, right? Because it's pretty easy to spot a fake testimonial. It's pretty easy to spot a fake testimony. So the kind of testimonials I like to do, Matt, are kind of like this. Uh, if you're listening to this, you can't see it, but basically Matt and I are on Zoom and we're two talking heads beside each other and we're having a conversation. So when I'm getting testimonials typically it's on zoom and it's very conversational and i'm and i'm using that as the testimonial so not only can the viewer see the person who's speaking and giving the testimonial but they see my smiling ugly mug right beside them so there's that connection it's 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 a lot harder to fake that kind of stuff does that make sense Absolutely. And I never even thought about it that way. When I think of testimonials, I go to JP Morgan's uh, website and they've got some random white dude up there giving a testimonial. About oh yeah. JP John Morgan. M. Yeah. John M from where, wherever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Miami says JP Morgan's fantastic. Yeah. Who's right. going to believe that? Right. But, and, and that's why there's, there's testimonials and there's testimonials. So would you like would you like me to kind of share with you and the audience how how we go about getting testimonials and we get our clients to get their own testimonials? Please, because you're shifting my mindset on this right now. Oh, okay, good. So this and this might be helpful for you guys because give or take in any particular quarter, how many investor meetings do you think you guys are having with with current investors? Like do you have regular check-ins with your current investors on a quarterly or semi-annual or annual basis? Yeah, probably about 50 of just touch base. How are things going? What are your goals? Et cetera. Okay, perfect. So that, that's a really good time to do this. And how do you do these calls? Are they on the phone or are they on Zoom? Mostly on Zoom because to your point, yeah. people want to see your face. Well, yeah, especially, you know, if they got 150 grand, 300 grand mm -hmm. invested with you, they want to see your beady eyes, right? So- Let's say you've got a, a $300,000 doctor investor on board. I know you guys have got a lot of those kind of folks on as, as investor partners. And you're having that, whatever, uh, quarterly check-in or semi-annual check-in with a person. And perhaps this these are the best times to get testimonials, good testimonials, is after a positive experience. So ideally, Matt, you're having these conversations after you've sent them a big fat check. Right. Or after, you know, they've got a disbursement or you've you've cashed them out of the deal or, or whatever. Something's happened that they're on a, a high note. Does that make sense? Yes. So it could be even when you just started the deal, whatever it is. But let's say you've, you've done a regular disbursement. They're happy. Things are going along according to plan. That's the perfect time to have these kind of meetings. And then if you're jumping on Zoom, you just click record. It's for legal purposes. It's to cover your butt. You've got it up on the cloud. You're, you know, that's just part of your whole process is you record everything that you do. And people are accustomed to that, right? They have to click the big blue button that they agree to be recorded. And then you're having a conversation. So, you know, let's say, let's say you were my investor, Matt, and you're involved in a syndication deal or whatever it is with me. And, you know, I might be saying, 
So Matt, we we recently sent you your most recent disbursement. Did you get that? Yes. All right, fantastic. Was it as much as you were expecting, or was it a bit more? Let's let's say it was more than they were expecting. Yeah, more. More. All right, fantastic. And how do you feel about the investment so far? Yep, I like it. I like uh-huh. it. Well, you're not very talkative there, Matt. I'll tell you. I'll try. It. I'll try. It. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to get a little bit more out of here, my friend. But I know we're Dave. We're you, you send me a check, a disbursement check for three hundred grand. I'll be as talkative as you need. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, I'm trying to ask a little bit more open-ended questions. So, so Matt, how does this compare to some of the other investments that you've done in the past? So I, I recall that you were heavily inv- invested in mutual funds before. How does this investment compare to other things that you've done? Yeah, it was super transparent. I never know what I'm getting charged on a mutual fund. I never received the dividend checks. Where do those even go? You charged me 5% just to sell me the mutual fund. It's a lot better. Yeah. So what do you what do you like about this compared to that? Yeah, cash flow, tax benefits, and you just sent me a big fat check of $300,000 at the end of it. No, oh, that's fantastic. Very good. So I know you were a little bit nervous. You hadn't done a syndication deal before you got involved in this one. You're you're a little bit hesitant about that. How do you feel about it now? How 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 has your mind shifted at all? Yeah, through the transparency and the ability to see things on the portal, I feel much better about doing investments in the future. Okay, that's fantastic. And yeah. if somebody were that you know was kind of thinking about getting in this kind of investment, what would you tell them? I would say stop waiting, do it now. Fantastic, very good. All right, so you see there. And I know you're you're helping me along here, but there are some fantastic little sound bites in that conversation. So then we would we would wrap things up. Um, what I'd finish doing whatever it is I needed to do with Matt on that call, and then towards the end I'd say, "So Matt, we had a really good conversation there. Would it be all right with you if I use some parts of that as a video testimonial? I'll put it together and I'll send it by you. Make sure you're happy with it. Would that be all right with you?" Of course. Okay. So Matt, you're very cooperative. Some people might not be as happy about the idea of having a video testimonial as others, right? So most people will say that, and that's cool. In which case you go in and I would tighten that right up. So there was, you know, a lot of back and forth. That's where the editing comes in, but I would create a nice little, could even be 15 to 20 second little testimonial snippet there. So there's, there's me, there's Matt. And we've got that snippet there. I'd get the I'd get Matt's approval on that. And then I would put that up on my website. Okay, I would have that in my marketing. I would create marketing around that. I use that as a case study, whatever. There's all sorts of stuff that we can do there. Now, if Matt's kind of shy and he doesn't like the idea of being on video, and if he said, so so give me a little, a little pushback there when I ask for the favor, yeah. Matt. Yeah, I didn't do my hair this morning. Not catching my good side. Well, I'm making you look good, buddy, when it comes to air. Don't worry about that. Okay, fair enough, Matt. Well, how about if we do this instead? Would it be okay if I took some of what you said and created a a written testimonial and used that instead? And here's what I'll do. I I don't want to put you to a lot of, of effort here, my friend. So I'll put it together. I'll write down what I understood you to say, and I'll send it by you. And if it looks okay, great. If you need to modify it, tweak it, whatever you want to do, that's fine too. Would that work for you? I like it. Perfect. All right. So there you go. If they don't do the video, then they might do the the written. In either case, you might actually want to do both, double whammy. So you got the video up there. 
And then you got the written version underneath it with the person's name. Ding, ding, right? So if they, you know, some people will click on the video and listen to it. Other people can just get a little snapshot of what was said there. Either way, you're getting a double, double whammy with that testimonial. Yeah, you've changed my mind on that because when I think of testimonials, I'm thinking just generic. You don't know who the person is. Matt F. in Miami. You should use JP Morgan. But this is a lot more personable. And to your point, I think people watch videos and are engaged with videos a lot more. Exactly. Now, you could still be Matt F., right, from whatever city. I don't have to put. But the fact that it's you and I talking is going to have so much more of an impact than just that. Those, those really crappy generic testimonials that we always see. See, I think our listeners are now seeing to always be willing to change your mind on something because when we when we first were talking about this, I'm like, I, I don't think that I would be involved in testimonials or I could do that. But now I completely understand that you're just spinning it a little bit different. Exactly. And, and you know what? Here's the other thing that's really interesting. <laughs> the fact that your investor has given you a testimonial increases the likelihood of them reinvesting with you and referring you exponentially. So yeah. it's it's self-serving in so many ways. Plus, you know, quite frankly, a lot of people kind of like seeing their their face up on online, getting a little you know, part of their 15 minutes of fame sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's a win-win all the way around. Yeah. And one thing we always do during the sales process is make sure people feel like they're our part of the sales process too. They're adding their own inputs. An old sales tool we used to do we would print out an Excel sheet, put some numbers in it, and we'd put some fake numbers in there and some wrong numbers that we knew were going to be wrong. But then the customer would give us a chance to say, hey, that looks a little off. Okay, great. What do you think the number is, Dave? All right. When we do that, it updates it this way. Do you agree that this looks good? Yes, I do. Now they're bought in. It's their proposal, not yours. Nice. Yeah, it's smart. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, Dave, fantastic conversation. You're obviously a man that with a lot of knowledge around capital raising and, and uh, different techniques and evolving your techniques. But I want to shift this now into our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Holy smokes. Uh, but I don't have it handy, but one of the books that I read last year, I absolutely love is Who Not How. Um, I'm sure a gazillion guys have told you that one, but that's that's a really good read. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Another book that I go read, read very often, just because I still have to learn that about myself, who, not how you can do a lot, but you can't do it all. Go find the people that can do it, not just figure out how you do it. That's why your investors are investing with you guys, right? You, right. <laughs> you know, they, they want to get into real estate. They don't want the pain in the butt of doing it themselves. They'd rather partner with the smart guys like you. So you're That's definitely right. there. Who? That's right. Um, our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are mm -hmm. some of the habits that you have every day? Oh, as we're recording this, it's it's not long after the holiday season. So I'm having to, having to get back into my good habits after falling off the wagon all December long. But um, I I like to get up pretty early in the morning, Matt. I'm not as gung ho as you are. I believe you're into triathlons and insanity like that, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, I, I'm not doing any of that craziness, but I do like to get up, get a little exercise going in the morning, get some reading done, get some planning done, do some stretches. Uh, last year, I finally got around to putting up a vision board. So I've got that in my line of sight. So I check that out on a regular basis. 
those are some of the st- things that I like to do in the morning. And first thing in the morning, get my day off to a good start. I like it. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. I can't remember who gave me this, this advice, but basically the idea is that, uh, Imperfect action beats perfect procrastination 100% of the time. Right, right. (laughs) So even if you don't quite know what the heck you're doing, get started, get going. It's so much easier to change course than to get going in the first place. Yeah, one of my go-to quotes is get going, then get good. I love that one. Yeah. Our fourth one is, what are you most proud of in your life? Hmm. Well, there's... Lots of stuff. You know, I'd like to I'd like to say I'm proud of my kids, proud of my family. That said, you know, I don't know, pride, pride's the right word there, or just very, very pleased. I've, I'm very fortunate. I've got two healthy kids. I've got a lovely wife, a great, a great stepson. Very, very pleased about that. Uh, however, I cannot def, I cannot take credit for all of that. So I don't know if I should be prou- proud of that or just damn grateful that uh, that's part of my life. You were a part of the process. You can take some credit. I was. I'll, t- I'll take mm-hmm. some credit. But yeah. Our fifth and last one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Bowl of ice cream with anybody. Yeah, that's... that. You know what? I, I would pick somebody alive, and I think it'd be fun to have a bowl of ice cream with Elon Musk. I think that guy is just a freaking genius at a whole other level. I would feel like a complete numbskull, uh, you know, talking with that guy. So I'd probably just be stuffing my mouth with with ice cream and asking him a question or two and just listening. <laughs> yeah. Most common answer so far, actually. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. he's something else. I think my ice cream would melt by the time I understood what he just said too. Yeah. I wouldn't ask anything techie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Dave, fantastic conversation. I really appreciate having you on the show. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about what you're doing or sign up for some of the the teachings that you have, where's the best place we could point them? Well, probably my main website, which is called moneypartnerformula.com, moneypartnerformula.com. You can find out all about me, what we do connect to our podcasts, get a free copy, PDF copy of my book, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, that's the best spot. Awesome. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Matt, thanks for having me, my friend. Keep rocking it. Keep doing this. I, I love this whole ice cream and investing concept. It's very unique. It's fun. Keep doing what you're doing. I love it. Yeah. I'm coming up to Canada to get some tiger stripes with you. <laughs> you don't have that stuff in the States, huh? No. Okay, no. man, you got to try it. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.